the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Capitec Bank surpassed 20 million customers in 2022 after 20 years in existence, surpassing that of FNB or Standard Bank. Against that benchmark, fintech company Ozov has racked up more than 8 million customers in a decade, and that figure is growing by the day. Ozov allows customers to make fast bank-to-bank payments with their smart devices without the need for a card. This is part of a new frontier in finance that I imagine we're going to hear a lot about in the years to come. South Africa has about 47 million bank accounts, which seems respectable enough for a country of 60 million people. But that figure camouflages a number of deficiencies in our financial system, not least being the time it takes to complete a transaction, which is often one or more days, and the costs of running an account. In South Africa, 85% of the population is banked, yet still reliant on cash and that makes them vulnerable to crime. Cash still accounts for more than 50% of all transactions and up to 90% in the informal economy. Part of the problem is the banking platforms are not well understood by many, so banks are used as places to store cash and withdraw as and when needed. For crypto users who account for about 11% of South Africans, we're starting to see the fulfillment of the promise of a merger between traditional and non-traditional finance. In other words, wallets where you can store your cash and crypto and transact with either. We're joined by Thomas Pays, CEO and co-founder of Ozov, to explore this new frontier in finance. Hi Thomas, first of all, I had not heard of Ozov until quite recently. You have 8 million customers, and at this rate, it looks like you might even beat Capitex 20 million customers, which they achieved over 22 years. Tell us about the company and how it got started. Great being on the show, and thanks for having me. Look, I think very similarly to uh, to Capitec, what uh, makes the success of uh, of a company like like them or Ozo is the startup mindset, is the sort of culture of high performance and innovation. Um, which, you know, in, in the short period of time allowed them to become one of the top four banks, if not the largest consumer bank to date, and also followed a, a similar path. And to your point, there's quite a lot of challenges that financial institutions uh, forgot to actually address because of the focus that they have on the return that they need to make for the shareholder. What happens when you have a, a startup that's rather focused on solving problems a building products that address the needs of of consumers, then indirectly you find yourself creating a success and stickiness, which is how also grew to uh, to its uh, seed of success, I would say, with eight million unique consumers that we have and and merchants, and more importantly, also addressing the challenges that were ignored. You, you talk about the low LSM with people from rural area and township. Data is a big challenge, so also solve this problem by making our financial platform accessible, data-free from wherever people are. Initially, we focused on e-commerce, which ultimately allowed us to capture an alternative to people that could not transact using card, which is pretty much seven out of eight people have a bank account, but yet one of eight have a credit card. So we're very quickly able and, to... And what about the debit card? Debit card is much wider, but it's also not widely adopted online. You know, there's certain industry and cases where we saw the penetration of debit card payment online being about 4%. So it's very, very, very low. Um, and these are due to legacy issues 
consumers don't also want to basically bear the cost of of a card and most of the time because they only use it to draw cash at an atm end up end up not using it for pretty much anything else and and they don't really trust it they they think it's like a safe you know if anyone gets to see they think something's on it's going to be stolen from it so the the way we looked at it is by enabling a solution initially online for the seven out of eight we could start basically growing accessibility to financial and digital inclusion. You talk about e-commerce like tech a lot. I remember during the COVID period, uh, going to some of the, the township on food drive with Brian Abana, where we were able to, to leave a parcel of food for the one in need. And one was the really most important moment that we've ever experienced as a company was when people saw us coming with our T-shirt, also branded. And, and a woman, I think I shared the the conversation with you where she had a baby in her arm and she said because of you during the pandemic I was able to order on Tecolot and get nappies because I don't have a card cash on delivery was not allowed in the area of Mitchell's Plains I was in the Western Cape and I was allowed to use my Capitec pay account using Ozo in order to do that payment and I think when as an entrepreneur you get to receive those feedback from consumer, but the impact that you have. You, you realize like what we do opposite to many financial institutions is not about bringing a return on investment to shareholder. It's about making sure that you drive impact, again, from financial and digital inclusion, where it matters, where people have been ignored because there's not enough revenue to be made out of them. But indirectly, you end up doing that and you create an ecosystem that everyone ignored, but yet could become a business on its own because of the economy of scale. We um, had the opportunity about a year ago to meet uh, Gigi Alcock, who wrote Casinomics, a very prominent figure in, in South Africa, a bit of a background about Gigi. He's a bit of a coconut, you know, his activist parents grew up in one of the poorest townships in Durban, in the uh, mud hut. And, you know, as, as what I is, when you hear him speak, he speaks Zulu, he speaks Kosa, he speaks all his languages fluently, but as an even some of the own Zulu and, and Kosa. And he, he, he got to basically take us on this journey of, you know, understanding and experiencing the consumers that we want to solve problem for. And we got through those immersion about spending weeks at a time in some of the most amazing and exciting townships. You can talk about Alexandra, you can talk about Soweto. And you get to realize when you when when you live in those areas that people don't they don't want to use cash. It's expensive. They have to queue at the ATM. It takes time. You spoke about wallet and storage of values. They want to be able to use these. But it's not always done in a way that provides them the environment that allows them from a data-free perspective to be able to access it is they want to pay at point of sale or is they want to pay online. And ultimately what Ozo has been doing and is continuing to do is making sure that we drive that gap between accessibility to payment and enablement of making the payment from where the funds are. And to, to finalize the last point is talking about wallet, talking about crypto, Wallet is probably one of the biggest success that we've seen from a payment perspective and storage value in Africa and will definitely leapfrog 
the lack of card and other method because it addresses a need that is core to the continent, which is not a need that you see in other first world continent. All right, so just to break this down for people who may not be familiar with Ozov, how do you say it? Ozov or Ozo? You know, I like. Well, it I doesn't like, really matter. I like people to pronounce it the way they mm-hmm. they like it. <clears throat> so it's O Z O W. All right. We 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 pronounce it. Uh, it's a play on word. It's right. oh so easy, oh so fast, oh so trusted. <laughs> okay, just break it down. So in order to be an Ozov client, you've got to have a bank account. Once you have that bank account, well, the question I would have: Why would you, if you're a Capitec customer, why would you be interested in having Ozov as well as a Capitec account? So Ozo is an enabler. Just think about why do people that have a Visa or MasterCard card use it is Visa and MasterCard enable basically transfer of fund between a storage of value, which is obviously ultimately a bank account or sometimes a wallet, towards a receiver of fund that you end up paying. Um, the problem about s- some of these uh, rails is they're very expensive they're very cumbersome and you end up having so many parties in between that sometimes when you do a payment the consumer doesn't know but there can be seven to twelve different parties taking a commission and the merchant end up paying fees that can be as high as three or five percent what's really great about Ozo and enabling pay by bank is not only is it empowering 47 million bank account holder in South Africa to partake in that financial and digital inclusion, but it cuts all the middlemen. So it connects the bank of the person making the payment and allows Ozo to confirm that the payment was initiated so that the merchant can receive a successful transaction notification and release the good or the service. From a consumer perspective, this is where the most complex part comes in. A normal manual EFT is very cumbersome. It's very dinosaur. It takes two to three minutes to make. You have to log into your online banking profile. You have to load the recipient. You have to check that the bank account is correct. I'm very LCD. Every time I end up spending two, three minutes doing it, what Ozo does is Ozo automate everything. And within a space of five seconds, allows anyone to make an instant EFT payment without the need of the recipient detail and with also automated that whole process. So how would it look like as an example with a Capitec Pay integration? The consumer will enter the cell phone number. They will get an in-app approval for the payment to be released and the payment is done. So the complexity of Ozo is to make it look so simple. So if, you, if I want to make a payment to you, do I need to know your bank account or just your phone number all. or an email? Not at how, how do we've, I do that? We've removed all that process. Ozo has become a directory of all bank accounts in South Africa. Therefore, everyone that has registered in that directory, when they get paid, Ozo map and route that payment automatically without the requirement of doing that input. So you just got to be sure you got the right name the right person as the recipient. And and we are very fortunate in our days to be uh, relying on technology and technology is a lot more accurate than human. Therefore, you will see that not only are merchants able to collect the money uh, a lot faster and getting it settled a lot quicker than even card in the bank account, but by removing the human element, we have removed all errors with it. 
Okay, so I mean, for this to work, obviously smartphones, that's critical to the new economy. And uh, smartphone penetration is growing in South Africa, but it's still seen as complicated. You know, when you start interacting with the financial institutions and you just spoke about the, you know, trying to log on to a bank account and the, the passwords and the one-time pins and all that kind of thing, which can stumble you. Are you making headway in this market and does it rely on the smartphone penetration? It's interesting because if you look at South Africa, uh, the stats are more than a year old. So it's obviously improved, but 80% of the population has more than one smartphone. South Africa have, on average, two mobile devices. What uh, has been really also exciting is over the past two, three years, some of the MNO, like MTM, have started bringing devices that are very affordable, that are within the three, 400 rand range as as a smartphone so it's really become affordable for anyone to start basically entering into that uh, new journey about being embracing new technology and more importantly when you talk about crypto when you talk about wallet when you talk about financial and digital inclusion now it's become accessible to everyone the sole barrier to entry that remain is i think what is the biggest currency in south africa it's airtime and data that is the only blocker we saw some of the rise of, of companies like Moya, which has seen over 6 million people joining the app because they've enabled data-free content. Um, I think also we'll follow a very similar trend. Are you offering free data? Our payment is data-free. So anyone that will come to uh, some of our partner retailer and will end up doing a transaction for, by the way, do you know what is the most free popular product in the township? Bottle of Coke? bread and butter. Hmm. They do their transaction for 40, 50 rand. Even if they've got no airtime or data, they don't find themselves in a situation where they have to go to the ATM or draw money, which can be a challenge. Because if the person only have 40 rand onto their bank account, most of the time they can only draw a minimum of 50 or 100. So now for that population, all of a sudden we are empowering them to be able to use a small balance that they have, which to them is what makes the difference between a meal or not, and spend it at the point of sale without the requirement of airtime or data. Okay, how many merchants are signed up with you? Because that, I imagine, is the other side. You've got 8 million customers. How many merchants? So Ozo has a very interesting model that really allowed us to become very successful today. If you look at some of uh, other payment companies that have been highly successful, like PayFast, they've got about close to 100,000 merchants. If you look at Yoko, they've got in excess of 350,000 merchants. I'd like to say that we've been a bit smarter than that. And the reason being is that we decided to go and partner with payment service providers, with banks, with invoicing company. And what we did is we would address company like Zero, which is accounting software, and says, let us enable also within your environment. We'll go to company like PayU or Cellulant or Flutterwave and we'll say, you guys have 12,000, 50,000 merchants. Let us be your partner. You become our distributor. We have one relationship with you, but then you continue and maintain the relationship with all your clients. So we, we specialize in enterprise client and payment service provider. We have just over 6,000 clients. But if we had to look at the aggregated sub-base that we have, it's within the hundreds of thousands 
of okay. merchant that we that we support. Okay, where are you from? I've got a French accent. I, I hear think, that. I think people are still picking it up. <laughs> Cannot hide it after 18 years in South Africa. It's still there. So tell us how you got into this and what's your background. So I'm originally from the north of France, which is a kind of an interesting story. I don't know if you're familiar with a city called Boulogne-sur-Mer, which is where the ferry goes to Dover between France and, and the UK. Interesting story because it's very similar to South Africa. Boulogne-sur-Mer was a small town in the north of France that you could compare to, to Soweto. It's very humble people, very humble uh, upbringing, and very well known for its coal mine. So it's, it's a city of miners, ultimately. This is where I grew up from, um, from up to the age of nine. I was raised by, by my grandmother and uh, moved thereafter to uh, the complete opposite which was Versailles, which is the equivalent of moving from Soweto to Sandhurst, which was kind of a contrast. So then from the age of nine to 16, uh, I grew up to what is one of the most amazing place in, in the world, which is the garden of the Chateau de Versailles, the Palace of Versailles. And that was, that was quite an interesting contrast. Um, ended up touring the world by the age of 18, 16. I wasn't really the typical academic person. Uh, so left 16, still past metric, and ended up traveling around the world uh, from Japan, New Caledonia, French Polynesia, US, and ended up meeting uh, 13 South African in London in, in the early 2000s. And I guess this is where my love for South Africa started, ultimately. And you can see by the smiles that I have on my face that the listener can probably here is that uh, I really fell in love with the South African culture. I really fell in love with South African people. But more importantly, I fell in love with a South African lady. And that brought you here. How long have you been in South Africa? Been here now 18 years. Ori, who's my wife for the past 18 years, is originally from Peter Meresburg. Mm -hmm. And she's, um, she's the one that uh, blessed me by bringing me to this amazing country. We had the opportunity of traveling around the world. You know, Ozo has brought us places. Ozo has recently opened in, in Amsterdam where we're launching our new uh, crypto initiative, which we'll talk about just now. And um, no matter the travel between the US, Europe, Asia, or around the world, uh, I've got to tell you that there's no place like home. South Africa is, is where our heart is. Okay, let's talk about the crypto side of things because uh, you have some plans in the, in the crypto space. And this, of course, is something that has been the great promise of crypto is that you would find this, uh, this great challenger to the existing traditional financial system. But we're not there yet. Crypto is not sophisticated enough. It's not simple enough to use. The apps, the platforms are still too complicated and clunky and expensive. So what are your plans? Look, I think crypto started as a very novel idea. It's incredible the solution that it solved. The challenge is it does not solve the compliance and regulation and controls that countries want to have. It disintermediates pretty much everything and decentralizes everything, which is great for the goods of humankind, but not for the one that wants to control. We're very privileged and I would say uh, lucky that the regulatory environment that we have in South Africa is very innovative, led by the South African Reserve Bank, in the sense that they've allowed local um, exchange 
to run. They've allowed to observe and work very closely with them in seeing how, instead of just banning outright, uh, working with how we could see what would be the reaction of consumers, what would be the challenge that consumer would face, and how can we start implementing a framework that's going to be conducive to a directive that will be the future regulation of crypto. They have moved quite quite quickly. We're looking at probably within the next six to 12 months, a new announcement from the regulator around this. And why is it so important to Ozo is ultimately we see it as the future of payment. We see it as the future of storage of value. We see it as the ultimate innovation that will basically be the growth that you see from cash to check to card to pay by bank to ultimately what will be crypto. Okay, so we're talking here about a wallet which will accommodate all these different means of payments. Now, of course, these do exist already in the world, but I think what is probably not that common is where you have this wide network of consumers and you have a wide network of merchants, which is something obviously that you bring to the party. So you're going to be launching a very confidential service exactly. towards the crypto users who account for about 11% of adults in South Africa, significant population. And the most interesting part is if you look at some of the leading payment company in the world, like Checkout.com, 80% of the payment processing that they've done over the past few years was around crypto. So I'll give you a perspective. You look at processing of Uber payment, e-commerce payment, the myriad of industry also covers over 112 industry. But for crypto, for some of the global payment platform company to represent 80%, it just ultimately shows you the huge opportunities that there is, but more importantly, demand. So as a payment company, for us, it was important to make sure that we partake into what shapes the future of payment. And more importantly, as a company that's really driven in making an impact in South Africa and the rest of Africa, what was really important for us is how do we start partnering with thought leader and market leader in South Africa and internationally? And just like we did with Paper Bank, start enabling solution using wallet as storage of value and, and so much more to start enabling South African to transact in a very safe and more importantly, easy way that anyone from rural area to township should be able to do macro transaction of cryptocurrency in a way that the regulator is happy with. Okay, I mean, if we talk about the informal sector, we touched on that already, but you look across Africa and th there's a growing understanding of crypto and blockchain in Africa in large part because there's a distrust of weak local currencies. We talk about Nigeria and the Naira. We talk about the, the Kwacha in Zambia and Malawi. Many in the informal sector, they prefer cash, although you said earlier that people don't actually like handling cash for whatever reason. Do you see a change in that? I mean, are people going to start adopting these digital platforms such as Ozov? Ultimately, consumer will adopt what is good for them. We're all very lazy when it comes to... Uh, our personal need. We want seamless experience. We want uh, fast, easy, and convenient. 
So ultimately, this is where the biggest challenge has been. You know, if you look at Apple Pay, it's an amazing product. How do we start enabling similar solution that's basically going to address the need of the 47 million bank account holder? How we're going to start enabling solution also that covers the other 13 million unbanked in South Africa? And if you focus on, we've got a very easy strategy at also with everything that we've done. For any launch that we do is research. When the research has done, we need to build a strategy. When the strategy is done, we do something that's very interesting. We do a pre-mortem. Because what's the use of doing a post-mortem when the person or your idea is already dead? You've wasted the money. You made a failure out of it. It's a bit too late. So we do a pre-mortem to just make sure that whatever we end up going to market with is going to be a success. And there's a whole structure about how pre-mortems are, are done. When the pre-mortem are done, we basically go through an execution plan, very structured and organized in phases, before going one of the most exciting parts when we go live, thereafter, which is the continuous improvement. And this is what is key for success of any company. We spoke about Capitech, we talk about Uber, Facebook, that continuous improvement is what makes a difference and what made us successful and will always remain as one of the key success of, of also outside of innovation our DNA is we spend days and days with our consumer. Our team goes in the street to understand what is the perspective of the friction point that there is on our payment platform, on our payment app. What are the needs our merchant and consumer in order to make sure that we can then bring it to the rest of the team and address those requirements. And ultimately, if you constantly do that and you just improve by 0.1% every day, at the end of the year, you start becoming ahead of the market leader from a payment perspective. At the end of the decade, you start becoming ahead of some of the banking institution. And by then you start creating a legacy and a story that change an entire country and hopefully we can replicate that in in the rest of the continent. Have you moved into the rest of the continent yet? We, we started with Namibia. We've been very conservative. We, uh, we're looking at uh, continue our expansion in, in the rest of, of Africa. Africa is, is a very challenging environment. It's, it's one where you cannot come with a cowboy approach and bring millions of dollars and expect a r return on investment immediately. You have to be cautious about the adaptation that you need for the culture, for the local regulatory environment. And the most important part that everyone forgets is there's a strong consumer and merchant education that is required for anything that you need to do. As crypto will build into mainstream, which is going to take another five years, and start getting adopted by more than 40% of the South African the most critical part is to make sure that there's an organic education around consumer and merchants that is done in a responsible financial way. Otherwise, you'll end up in a, in a position like FTX. FTX being the exchange which collapsed in the United States in Precisely. November last year. Just to be clear on this, so a merchant who signs up with you, does he get a financial benefit? You, you talked about cards. They're paying about 3 to 5% in, in fees. Are your charges lower than that? So our charges start from 1.5% and then reduce based on the volume. 
So it's a lot more affordable. We, so the, the top rate is 1.5%. That's correct. No minimum fee, no monthly fee. You know, if you don't use us, you shouldn't have to pay for it. And we don't charge for anything but successful transaction. And from the consumer point of view, they don't have to, uh, well, they do have to have a bank account. Am I correct? In order to sign up with you? At the moment, people need a bank account. We have just released um, in the past few days cash deposit option that allows any unbanked person that resides in South Africa to deposit cash at a retailer or at an ATM and deposit that money directly within their pocket, which is the Ozo wallet name. Do you not have, a, have to have a banking license for that? We do that in partnership with with a bank. Okay. Therefore, we uh, we don't have to have through the burden of all the compliance around this. So, are there any financial benefits to the consumer in terms of costs? Absolutely. The biggest opportunity is that it becomes free for them. Yeah. They're able to have a safe storage of values that is completely protected from debit order or accessed <coughs> by anyone, where yeah. we keep their money uh, safe and charge absolutely zero fees. And if you look at that evolution from that storage of value, we'll be able to start enabling and empowering people to now start doing that micro-purchase of transaction of crypto. If you look at the fluctuation of currencies that we've seen in third world country, like South Africa, how great will it be to be able to protect consumers from that exposure if they want to save money over a 12-month period? and store it in uh, an environment that also enables to uh, protect them from that currency fluctuation. Okay. It's quite innovative. No one's done that for, for people in township and rural area, and I think it will be a game changer. All right, final question. We are out of time here. What is your view on the future of the financial system? Will it be easier to use? Will it be cheaper? And I guess most importantly, will it offer products which are not currently in- available? And what would those products look like? R4C payment being free in the next 10 years. Something that will be fully... Free free payments. In the free next payments for anyone, for mm-hmm. consumer and merchant. Something that will be fully commoditized. If you look, let's reflect on what happened over the past 23 years. What happened in 1999? We saw the rise of Google. We saw the rise of Facebook in 2004. Fast forward two decades. Look at what's happened in the past two decades from an evolution perspective. Tesla, SpaceX, what do you think is going to happen in the next decade? Let's talk just about payment, which is one of the easiest things. Combining with AI, combining it with machine learning, combining with everything that's happening, I believe that the next decade is going to allow any sort of payment to be so seamless, like what we're seeing with Amazon, with Palm Payment, that's basically now being enabled in the Seattle store, that will end up having startup and fintech company having to create products that will come as a premium. The core payment system will be free, but they will have to innovate with premium products that consumers and merchants would have want to pay out of their own will in order to complement the free core services that's being offered. That's so so you, you see some free services such as payments and around that you will you will have a range of products which will be but but do you see the prices of these products 
declining as competition increases because this does seem to unleash a whole new wave of competition. Ultimately, it's going to be down to the economy of scale. The, the more scarce the innovation, the more expensive it is. The broader the access to that innovation and the more replicated it is, the more affordable it becomes. It's ultimately what we're going to see unfolding in the next 10 years. And my only wish is that in the next 10 years, we are able to start seeing a wide global adoption of crypto that is as easy or easier than the use of certain payment product like uh, Apple Pay or, or Ozo and allows payment that knows no difference between borders and allows instant settlement. Thomas Pays, co-founder of Ozov. Thanks very much for joining us in the studio and we look forward to monitoring your success in the years to come. Great being here. Thanks for having me too. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.